The Hamlet Podcast, episode 90. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. The play within the play has begun in earnest, and both Hamlet and Horatio are keeping an eye on Claudius. The player king has appeared and announced that he and his wife have been married for about 30 years. The general consensus is that Hamlet himself is approximately 30, and so his parents, Hamlet and Gertrude, would have been married for about 30 years when the old king died. Already we are getting parallels between the real events and the player's performance. At the end of our previous episode, there was a tiny little line from Hamlet, responding to one from Ophelia, in which the short prologue was deemed as brief as woman's love. Even though we've been set up for several scenes to be ready to watch Claudius while he watches this play, Hamlet's focus seems to be wandering instead towards his mother. He's already fairly convinced of Claudius's guilt, and really just hoping that the play will somehow make him confirm it. The dumb show wasn't enough to do so, but with any luck, the play will do the trick. But what about Gertrude? Hamlet is still thinking about how quickly she remarried, seemingly forgetting her first husband entirely. Could she, perhaps, have been involved in the murder? As the player queen begins to speak, it's Gertrude that Hamlet is watching rather than Claudius. The text that the players perform is certainly not great literature in and of itself. Shakespeare writes deliberately clunky and antiquated verse, so that there's a clear difference between performance and reality. The player queen responds to her husband as follows. So many journeys may the sun and moon make us again count o'er ere love be done. But woe is me, you are so sick of late, so far from cheer and from your former state, that I distrust you, yet though I distrust, discomfort you, my lord, it nothing must. For women's fear and love holds quantity, in neither aught or in extremity. Now what my love is, proof hath made you know, and as my love is sized, my fear is so. Where love is great, the littlest doubts are fear. Where little fears grow great, great love grows there. She's saying that she hopes they'll have another thirty years together before their love might end. If Hamlet is trying to unsettle his mother, as well as his uncle's stepfather, Having a boy player dressed as a version of Gertrude and speaking such syrupy lines is an excellent start. Of course, we've been told that the players are talented, but it might be even more interesting to watch this performance if the acting is not good. The less convincing the Queen is, the more offensive it will be to Gertrude. The Queen continues that she's worried about her husband's health. He is so sick of late, so far from cheer and from his former state. What follows is a very convoluted segment that suggests how women feel love and fear in equal measure, and that the degree of worry that the lady feels for her husband is a testament to how much she loves him. Where love is great, the littlest doubts are fear. Where little fears grow great, great love grows there. Certainly, if Claudius and Gertrude were hoping for a stimulating evening of theatre here in Elsinore, they must already be rather sorely disappointed. It's the king's turn to speak again, and his lines are just as inspiring as his lady's. Indeed, she interrupts him halfway through. Faith, I must leave thee, love, and shortly too. 
my operant powers their functions leave to do, and thou shalt live in this fair world behind, honoured, beloved, and haply one as kind, for husband shalt thou... Evidently this king is actually sick. He tells his wife that he will soon have to leave her, that his body is failing him, and that she will have to live on in this fair world without him. She will be honoured and beloved, and he begins to suggest that perhaps she will find another husband. She won't hear of it, and interrupts immediately. Oh, confound the rest! Such love must needs be treason in my breast. In second husband let me be accursed. None wed the second but who killed the first. Damn the rest, she says. It would be treason for her to love anyone else. She deserves to be cursed, if she marries again, because only women who have killed their first husbands remarry. This all fits in the sing-song, almost soap-opera-worthy tone of the fake play, but it's absolutely outrageous that Hamlet has requested this text to be performed before his mother. In a few short lines, the actor has suggested that a woman who remarries is committing a kind of treason, that she deserves to be damned, and that she was probably responsible for the death of her husband. Never mind how Claudius is feeling. Surely by now, all eyes in the room are on Gertrude. Hamlet obviously feels it too, and he has a quick aside, saying, Wormwood. Wormwood. Wormwood is a herb, notoriously bitter and known at least as far back as the Bible. Hamlet's little interjection is there to acknowledge that he knows how much the preceding lines must sting his mother. They seem to suggest that he's at least partially convinced that she was in on the murder. As if the preceding lines were not enough, the player queen continues. The instances that second marriage move are based respects of thrift, but none of love. A second time I kill my husband dead, when second husband kisses me in bed. She says that the reasons for a woman to remarry are economical, or thrifty, but they have nothing to do with love. That's all very well, but the real stinger here is the next couplet. A second time I kill my husband dead, when second husband kisses me in bed. This lady is really hammering home the point. She'd only marry again if she had murdered her husband, and indeed it'd be like murdering him a second time to let any other man kiss her in bed. It isn't really subtle at all, is it? The lines echo Hamlet's own comments earlier in the play, how thrift was a motivator in the o'er-hasty marriage, so that the funeral baked meats did coldly furnish forth the marriage tables. Whatever motivated the second marriage, it was nothing to do with love. It's worth noting here that we have no concrete evidence that might explain which lines are the ones that Hamlet has inserted into this play. It doesn't really matter. We've been told that it touches the circumstances of his father's death, that he has chosen it in order to trap Claudius, and that there are some new lines he's asked them to interpolate. If Shakespeare felt it really was necessary to the story to show which exact lines were Hamlet's, I'm sure we would know which ones they were. For now, the whole audience must surely be on edge, as the lines being recited are so awkwardly reflective of the real Queen's recent remarriage. The Player King speaks next, with a rather long contribution, so we'll save the next instalment of his edifying poetry for the next episode. Thank you, as always, for listening, and do be sure to follow us on Twitter or Instagram for extra materials and Shakespeare-related information. 
You can find all previous episodes on thehamletpodcast.com. I'll speak to you next time.